going live in five, four, three, two, one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the show. I remain your host, Daniel Popola, and um, we have a an amazing session for you today. With no further ado, let's get started. Many at the Jacob School of Medicine know our guest in the studio today. He's known as the sweetest security officer in the history of the school by popular vote. <laughs> we know him as the one angel that was divinely positioned in this building to put a smile on the faces of everyone that walks into that building in the morning. He has been an emotional support to several generations of doctors who have trained in this institution and many who you may see in your neighborhood. He has been a blessing. He has been an inspiration. He has been an example to us. Some refer to him as the unofficial therapist to many doctors. <laughs> By unanimous vote, our cat on the show today has excelled distinctively by impacting lives in an outstanding manner that that is unique to him. We have no doubt that many of you out there have been waiting to know more about this exceptional human being. Well, the suspense is over, and we are honored to introduce our guest in the studio today to share his experiences on the broken road to excellence. No further ado, Please join me in welcoming the amazing Larry Daniel. Good. Hello, hello, hello to you, my friend, uh, <laughs> Brother Daniel. <laughs> what a tremendous introduction <laughs> on who I am in this UB Jacob School of Medicine uh, school. I certainly appreciate you reaching out and wanting me to be a part of this beautiful and most uh, inspirational or encouraging uh, podcast. I'm truly privileged. I'm certainly honored to be able to be a part of this podcast and what this podcast is going to do in the hearts that it touches. I'm confident that uh, I'm expecting great things out of it and and I'm looking forward to learning about others that participate in this podcast as well. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Larry. It's a, it's a honor to have you here. I know a lot of people have wanted to know more about Larry, you know, and we are honored on this show to be the conduit to give to the world the, the, the stories behind the excellence that you portray and exhibit here on this campus, you know, um, and to, to get the show started, uh, if you don't mind, share with us, who is Larry Daniel? Who is, uh, uh, share about your background, where you were born, where you grew up, what educational institutions you attended, and what degrees you've earned, what jobs you've done, and what led you to, you know, this school? Absolutely. Well, yes, uh, my name is Larry. My middle initial is letter J for James. 
and I'm privileged to have three first names. My last name is Daniel. Uh, I don't know who came up with that choice, but I want to believe it was my mother and father. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm privileged to have three first names, Larry, James, Daniel. And yes, I am um, the son of the late Tony and Larry Daniel. From that union, my mother and father had three children, and I was the oldest, and I am the oldest of the three. I have a sister who's uh, six years younger than me, Mm -hmm. and I also have a younger brother who is actually, uh, my sister is six years younger than me, and my brother is, uh, let me get this right, because I I lose track of their numbers. Okay. (laughs) Let me say, (laughs) refers that my my brother is six years younger, younger than me, and my sister is four years younger than me. Okay. Yeah, see... I guess I have a birthday coming up. I usually tease people. <laughs> you guess. <laughs> I have a birthday coming up. So <laughs> some people have Alzheimer's, but I'm diagnosed with sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes I forget. <laughs> I love that. So Alzheimer's, you're self-diagnosed. I am sometimes. <laughs> but yes, I'm born, raised uh-huh. here in the city of Buffalo. Um, I I was born in, from a hospital that no longer exists here in Buffalo no more, which is called Deaconess Hospital, um, which was located off the Humboldt Expressway, the 33. Uh, and also, I grew up born and raised here in the city of Buffalo, um, went to one of the best elementary schools um, that no longer exists, uh, was called Campus West, mm. and it's College Learning Laboratory. Um, off of Buff State College, where I attended elementary school. And from there, I went to Bennett High School. Mm-hmm. And I did my four years at Bennett High School. While I was at Bennett High School, I played football uh, for my first and my second year. And I took it very lightly. Mm-hmm. Even in my, my high school years, I took it very lightly. And part of the reason why I took it lightly, I want to say, is because I didn't have that parental support. Mm. And uh, because my parents, they were working parents, um, they, my mother worked for a major insurance company and my father worked at a, a plant that's currently being renovated, the old and former Trico, which is not, a, not too far Just from down, down the street. street yeah. Right? Being renovated. So um, they, they were both working uh, Monday through Friday. And their schedule as a child, I want to say, was it was busy. Mm-hmm. And because it was busy, uh, I kind of took my academics as well as my sports very lightly because I didn't think I had the support that I actually um, desired to have. And not understanding things at that age in my teenage years, but I just went on with life. But as I journeyed through life, um, I got a little taste of what it was like to graduate from high school. And during my high school years, I went to um, another uh, trading school because Bennett High School didn't have the trade that I was interested in. And that was? That was computers. Okay. Computers. Um, So I ended up going to a school called Buffalo Vocational Technical Center, which is now known as East High School. Mm. It was East High School back in the 50s and 60s, I believe. 
but at some point in the early or late 80s, it became Buffalo Vocational Technical Center. Mm. So this school would allow you to any type of trade, whether it was um, nursing or if it were uh, welding, uh, computer, I went for computer maintenance and repair. Um, they would give you the fundamentals, the fundamentals of uh, pursuing your career goals. Mm -hmm. And so I did what most people would do, which was just did what I had to do just to graduate. I just wanted to hurry up and get out of school. <laughs> I was young. Yeah. I was, you know, um, kind of undecided in what I wanted to do with my life. And so all I cared about was if after I graduate from high school, then I can just move out into the working industry. And so I was blessed to graduate uh, from high school and I graduated with a certificate in computer maintenance and repair. Mm -hmm. And in my graduating, I got introduced to the working industry <clears throat> where I did a lot of work for one of the major hospitals here mm. in the Buffalo area, okay, which is Erie County Medical Center. ECMC. ECMC. Mm. 462 Grider. <laughs> <laughs> I, <enjoyed, That> <laughs> I know the address like a book. <laughs> so in my work in there, I was able to work there uh, in the kitchen department. And mm. I had an opportunity to um, prepare the meals for the patients. Mm -hmm. And as I prepared those meals, uh, for the patients, I got a chance to actually build relationships with them. Some, you know, hospitalized long-term and some short-term hospitalization. And in the meantime, during that journey, and this is back in 1990, I'm sharing with you, um, I was able to see some of the doctors that actually work here at the Jacobs School. Interesting. Uh, one in particular, well-known here, Dr. David Milling. Mm. Shouts out to him. Um, and he just wanted, Shout out. you know, to Dr. Milling and also another uh, fantastic doctor who I had the privilege of indirectly meeting during my journey because I started in the dietary department at mm -hmm. ECMC. Mm. But during my journey at the dietary department, in that department, that is, I had the privilege to get to know some of the staffing. Mm. And um, some of the staffing really took to building a relationship with me. And I come to find out that there was a, a woman that was affiliated with Dr. Marshall. Mm. Dr. Dory Marshall. Dr. Dory Marshall, shout out to you. Shout out to Dr. Dory Marshall. Uh, yeah, absolutely. One um, of the amazing, most amazing souls I've uh, ever encountered. I'm telling you, you, you said it, you said it. And in my um, meeting, my manager, I went into the department of uh, hospital aid in psychiatry. Mm. So I had no idea that my manager, shout out to her, Carolyn Walker, um, shout out to her, uh, my manager reported to Dr. Marshall. Mm. But I never met Dr. Marshall mm. myself. So in my journey, I stayed in psychiatry um, as I transferred from dietary to psychiatry. I stayed there part-time for almost one year. Mm-hmm. And in my staying there for one year, as I stayed in psychiatry, um, I was really impressed and fascinated by law enforcement. Mm. Because while working at ECMC, I would often see correction officers, deputy sheriffs, Buffalo police, mm -hmm. um, 
even the ECMC security team, um, they would often be walking around and they had badges and they had guns on their hips. And I felt like, wow, that says a lot. It speaks volume concerning the person who walks around with a badge. Mm -hmm. So in my seeing that experience for a, a year uh, as a part-time hospital aide in psychiatry, I was talking to some friends of mine who were deputy sheriffs, mm -hmm. law enforcement, and I shared with them, I says, you know, how do you go about being a law enforcement officer? What is it that you have to do? And in my conversation with them, they said, well, I would just encourage you to start taking the test. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, okay. So over time I took tests and as I took the tests, um, qualified and passed for the New York State Department of Corrections. Okay. So to me, I was like, wow, this is huge, man. <laughs> you know, I, I just took the state exam, mm. I passed it, I did well. And in my taking that state exam, uh, I was able to go ahead and go to Albany for mm. the training required. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna cut you there for a second because I think there is a, a point that our audience need to hold on to, mm -hmm. take home here. So number one, you went from dietary to psychiatry, mm -hmm. and this was through someone yes. that you knew. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to just zoom in for a second and understand that sometimes greatness and getting to our to the realization of our dreams is often through people that we meet and people that we know. Yes. And we need to consciously maintain good relationships, good rapport with people, because you never can tell who you meet and who you know that will link you to the next step on the path to achieving your goals. That is true. So everywhere we are, it's important for us to be in our best behaviors. Mm -hmm. Respect the people that that require the respect. I agree. And maintain exceptional relationships. The other thing I think I gained from your story so far is transitioning from all that into the correctional system happened by being in the right environment. Yes. And seeing the people in those environments. And so for us to connect to where we have to be, it's important to surround ourselves with the right people, the people that will inspire us and guide us with proper information to get to where we want to get to. Absolutely. I agree with you. Um, simply because during the journey, mm. and I often share this with some people from time to time, you have to be careful when life presents to you an opportunity mm. to move up the ladder. Mm. Because when it does present the opportunity, the same people that you meet going up the ladder, mm. you might have to depend on those same people coming down the ladder. Mm. And so Carolyn Walker, who was my psychiatry manager at that time, yeah, I made sure that I respect. She's a black woman too, because mm -hmm. we're we're talking about 
Um, I'm thinking about the impact that it has to see our people of color that are in position, mm-hmm. our people of color. Sometimes the news media will display all of the negative mm-hmm. and want you to see and advertise or leave an imprint of the negative. Mm-hmm. But then many times it's the personal stories, like mm-hmm. we're talking today, yeah. that leave an impact that are positive. There we go. And I'm, I'm happy and privileged to still share with you that Carolyn Walker, her number, I still have it. Mm. Okay. And if I was to call her today, she would, I believe, carry on a conversation with me as if we just talked yesterday, mm. even though I haven't talked to her in a couple of years. Interesting. And, and my case in point is, again, she was very instrumental mm-hmm. when hiring me to be a hospital aide mm. and to be an aide and not only just to be an aide, but I believe she saw some qualities in me mm-hmm. that I didn't see in myself. Mm. And that's huge because I believe at times as we meet people in life, mm-hmm. there are things about us. I like to refer to them as a blind spot. Okay. And that blind spot is there's things about me that I don't see. Mm. but other people see. Yes, that's true. And sometimes it can take someone who has that potential and they can see the value Mm -hmm. that you possess to expose you to it, Mm. to give you the light, Mm. to make sure that you don't overlook the small things uh, that's often overlooked by many people, even sometimes ourselves. Hello everyone and welcome back to Success Clinic, where our mandate is to empower you as you journey to the pinnacle of your God-given potentials. As a reminder, we have a ton of resources strategically planned and designed to facilitate your success. These resources include podcast episodes where we have exclusive interviews with the heroes of your communities who have successfully navigated the journey to greatness that you and I are aspiring for. We also have inspirational nuggets, activities, and exercises that we release almost daily, primarily on our social media platforms to consistently remind you and remain that voice of positive reinforcement and support that you need to stay focused on your, on your positive journey to success, especially when things are not going as planned. At Success Clinic, we also provide information about mentorship and scholarship opportunities for both local and international students and aspiring professionals. Furthermore, we provide free professional attires in our Pond to Shine uh, room that is sponsored by our suit drive and a whole lot more. For more details about all of this, please visit our website today at www.success-clinic.com. Now, our social media platforms including Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. Come hang out with us and join this unstoppable movement of ordinary people discovering and transforming into the extraordinary version of ourselves as we journey hand in hand together to the pinnacle of our God given potentials. I remain yours, the dope doctor. That's that's very interesting that you shared that. And 
Uh, we're gonna get back to just story as to after you you went to train in Rochester, mm -hmm. but I think it's important to highlight what you just mentioned about the blind spot that we don't see but ourselves, and other people see those about us, and they <clears throat> sometimes attain the position of being the custodians of our dreams, even when we are unable to push ourselves to where we have to be mm -hmm. during those moments. I remember our recent conversation on this show with Dr. Kamina. Okay. And she was mentioning that she had mentors, one of them, Dr. Bennett, who, and, who was very particular about mentoring her and keeping her on track in you know in research even at the moment the moment that dr Kamina said she just wanted to be an 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 average student an average candidate you know and dr Kamina looks back today and credits dr bennett for a lot of the achievements that she that she, that, that she has now or that she's able to 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 be proud of now mm -hmm. simply because there was that one person who noticed some things about her that she herself did not notice. And be, and that person, Dr. Bennett, uh, uh, specifically chose to become the custodian of preserving and seeing the success of those attributes. Beautiful. So in life, it's, it is very important that, you know, and, and we, we pray that God sends our, our sends our way people who will identify those things and even when we are not able or capable to see them and take care of them those people will jump in to help us keep track of those things to help us get to where we have to get to absolutely absolutely thank you for sharing that larry so let's go on to so you went for your training in rochester and what happened after that yeah so during the course of the training um as the training in actually it was in Albany. So mm -hmm. it was in Albany. Albany, yeah. sorry. That's I... all right. It's all New York State. All <laughs> <laughs> state. It's all New York State. But even in the training, uh, the, the qualifications is week, weekly you had to perform a, after the mental evaluation or, or psychological evaluation, you had to take that test. And then, of course, they had to do the background checks on you. And all of that came in very clean because. I didn't come uh, into this with any type of criminal record, mm -hmm. so there was no criminal background for me to actually have to uh, reveal or to discuss or for them to find anything on. Okay. And then also they checked my background in, in regards to references, my referrals, people that knew me. And so there was um, people from the religious community that knew me within the churches, Mm -hmm. uh, there were also people like Carolyn who can vouch for my character mm -hmm. uh, as a uh, person and also my work ethic as an employee. Mm -hmm. And so my neighbors, they would vouch for me because they watched me grow up. Mm -hmm. And so I completed the necessary requirements to become qualified mm -hmm. uh, a correction officer trainee. So even in the department, we had to weekly take classes. We took penal law. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. along um, with the Department of Correction as, lo- as well as common law. Mm-hmm. We took the law, the legals. So there was information that had to be learned in order to excel to the next level. Okay. And in some cases, you get a job, and it's usually based upon who you might know. Mm-hmm. Somebody that can pull <clears throat> some strings for you and make things happen and move some papers around. And yeah. before you know it, you got the job. Yeah. But this was totally different. Uh, what was made what made it different for me was in my childhood as a coming up, um, I was surrounded by negativity, mm-hmm. which means that there was constantly people in my life that said, you can't do mm-hmm. and you can't accomplish. You won't accomplish. Yeah. So there was a lot of negative um, activity deposited in me mentally. Mm-hmm. So that caused a lot of emotional hurt mm. because going into the Department of Corrections, just me, myself, and I, mm-hmm. and uh, trying to pass these legals and taking a weekly exam and doing an agility test. Mm. So there was a lot of requirements that were solely on me mm-hmm. that I could not uh, depend on anybody else. Mm. So I'm thankful by the grace of God I passed every week mm. the legals. Yeah. And then on the final week, I passed the final exam. Awesome. So I was blessed. And even having revisited my childhood mm-hmm. up until my adult stage, I always thought that in order to make my parents proud, I thought I had to be that doctor. Mm. I thought I had to be that lawyer. Mm. I thought I had to be somebody who made uh, a lot of money if you don't mind me putting it that way that's okay and and having Remember said that transparency on the show mm-hmm. we wanted to really tell it as, as it is absolutely and having said that mm-hmm. when i found out that i passed all of the requirements the night before graduation mm-hmm. i'm they tell you that uh grown men don't cry mm-hmm. but that's not true that night when I found that I passed, mm. I was the last one in the shower for the night. And I cried. Mm. I cried because throughout my childhood, I was told what I would not be able to do. Mm. As I was a teenager, I was told my self-worth was very little. No. Mm. I, I, I was told that I wouldn't amount to be much. Hmm. concerning my upcoming and so for me to have accomplished that mm-hmm. goal mm-hmm. knowing that what I did I did by myself mm-hmm. it brought tears to my eyes mm-hmm. because I felt like I did what people said I couldn't do mm-hmm. powerful powerful and and when I did what others said I wouldn't do and couldn't do I went back to those same people and I celebrated me Mm-hmm. I celebrated me. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it's done. You don't you don't need people to celebrate you. Mm-hmm. You celebrate you. You celebrate you. You celebrate your achievements. Mm-hmm. You celebrate you. So having said that, I did um, five years. I did four years, excuse me, working in the Department of Corrections. Okay. Um, started in Poughkeepsie, New York, mm-hmm. in a maximum facility. And then... There was a facility called Green Haven. Mm. 
came from Greenhaven. They allowed you to spend time back here at home with your family. So I did some time at Wendy. Mm. And then after doing that time at Wendy, they said, okay, we got to send you back to Greenhaven now because <laughs> you don't have enough seniority to be at Wendy. <laughs> so, of course, that was heartbreaking because I was away from my family. Mm. Um, at the time, I was not married. Um, so at the same time, being away from my family was very heartbreaking at first. Yeah. But over time, I was able to, we had to do what is called a, a ranking list. Okay. And uh, we put the list of facilities that you wanted to be uh, transferred to during mm. your career. Mm -hmm. And so I put the one that I wanted to get closest to Buffalo as possible. And so I was thankful that I was able to be transferred to a facility in Buff, well, outside of Buffalo, but in a town called Geneva, mm -hmm. near a small town called Romulus. And uh, I was there, transferred as an officer, while the facility was brand new. Mm. Brand new. The construction workers were still in the facility, and they were still laying out uh, the security measures and policies and procedures. So I was a part of that. That's awesome. To help, you know, upbring, uh, birth that in that facility called Five Points, Five Points Correctional Facility. And during my journey there as an officer, I took and I did what most people like to do, which was I was trying to enjoy my life. Mm. So in my enjoying of my life, here's where my life took its turn at, because it was a nice, sunshiny day. Um, this is not a nursery rhyme, <laughs> <laughs> but it was in the month of May. and I was riding my motorcycle. Mm -hmm. And those of you that are familiar with the Buffalo area, I was on the intersection of Bailey Avenue mm -hmm. as we pass uh, Veterans Hospital. I was on my motorcycle, wasn't riding reckless, because some people think, oh, motorcycle riders are reckless riders. Mm -hmm. No, that wasn't me. Mm -hmm. I wasn't riding reckless. However, I approached the intersection of Bailey and Winspear. Mm -hmm. So as I approached that intersection, as I sat there waiting for the traffic to emerge, I'm headed south into downtown Buffalo. And my traffic light turned green. I was the first motorist. Mm -hmm. And as it turned green, I went to accelerate into the intersection. And as I accelerated into the intersection, Daniel, Something happened that really was the furthest from my mind, mm. which was the traffic headed north began to move slowly. Mm. So as it moved slowly, there was a motorist who was driving a van mm. who did not have a motor who did not have a excuse me driver's license, mm. and this person chose to make a left hand turn in my lane. So as I was traveling south, approximately 10 miles an hour, this person headed north in a van, made a left-hand turn in my lane. And as they made that left-hand turn into my lane, all I could do was say, oh God. Mm -hmm. So when they made that left-hand turn, they stopped in my lane to pull into the parking lot. But by this time in my acceleration, I was in first gear, thinking I was going into second, 
But when I saw that vehicle turn in my lane, Daniel, all I could do was try to bring the bike to a stop, the motorcycle. Mm. Couldn't bring it to a complete stop. So the impact of my injuries is what got me here today. Mm. So what happened was during my travel on that day, my mother, who was a very religious woman, mm -hmm. and she was right behind me in the traffic. Mm -hmm. So as that van turned in front of me, the van itself, I was now facing the passenger door mm -hmm. and the sliding door of a van. Some people call it luck. I, I don't call it luck, but my experience as my bike hit the side of that van that was now in my lane, they tell me, the witnesses, my mother, they said, we watched you hit that van with your motorcycle and we saw you go up and we saw you go down. They said, we've seen the bike go up and we've seen the bike come down. So when the EMTs, Buffalo police officers, firefighters, they showed up, Daniel, they looked on the ground and they see me, my legs, I'm laying on my back. My legs are swaying from side to side. And they looked at me and said, what are you doing? down there and my helmet was damaged severely and I was trying to convey to these emergency response team that this person cut me off and in my conveying that to them every time I want to say something my helmet my shield it fogged up but I don't know if they actually heard what I was saying or understood what I was saying, but it began to fog up. All I know is that the EMTs, they showed up and they put the neck brace on me, put me on a stretcher. At that point, I blacked out. I couldn't tell you what happened. But this thing I do know, my injuries as I got me to ECMC, and I'm so thankful for the medical staff at the Erie County Medical Center. My injuries consisted of bleeding on the brain, punctured lung, broken ribs. I used to call it a shoulder, but I found out it's not a shoulder, it's called my right clavicle. Mm -hmm. My right clavicle is what made contact to that van. And then it made contact to the van. It also tore some of my bicep. Mm. So many of you know that when you often see me working security here at the Jacobs School, I always wear a long sleeve shirt. Mm. The reason being is because when the bicep was torn, they had to do a skin graft from my right leg to cover up 
the damaged tissue that was exposed from my right bicep. So during that experience, me unconscious still, mm -hmm. they begin to run the various tests and they went out and actually told my family as they waited in the emergency room. They told my family and said, we've done all we can do for him. We give him 24 hours. Mm. And again, my mother being a religious and a praying woman, mm -hmm. she began to speak life to my situation. Mm. And so just to share with us from the biblical perspective, because I do govern my life from the biblical perspective. Please, preach it, brother. Preach it. And it's found in Proverbs chapter 18, uh, verse number 21, where it says, death and life is in the power of the tongue. And so my mother said, she began to speak life to you in my situation. Mm. So at some point while laying unconscious, mm -hmm. my brother chose to want to come and see me mm -hmm. while I was unconscious. I don't know the time in which my mother had been praying mm -hmm. to the time that I had woke up. But at that time that I did awake, my brother was standing over me, mm. tears coming down his face. Mm. And he began to call for the medical staff and said, he's awake, mm -hmm. he's awake, he's talking, he's talking. Glory to God. So I thank God because there's certainly power in prayer. There is, there is. There's power in prayer. You're about to bring me to tears. <laughs> and so, as I laid there on the table, the doctors come in and they said, well, we want to run some more tests. I said, okay. But while I laid there on the table, not knowing the severity of my injuries, mm -hmm. I was sending a message from my brain. I was always right-handed. Mm -hmm. I used to write right-handed. I ate right-handed. Only thing I did left-handed was basketball. <laughs> I shot basketball left-handed. I was a bowler. I, I did everything else you can think of mm. with the right hand. Well, yeah. So having said that, I would send a message from my brain to tell my right arm to scratch my forehead. And it would not answer. And it wouldn't answer. Mm. It wouldn't respond. So as I begin to tell my brain again, scratch my forehead with the right hand. <laughs> and, and, and telling my arm to do so in no response, my brother was standing over me and he says, what you doing? And I said, I'm trying to scratch my forehead with my right arm. So my brother, he chuckled. <laughs> and so I said to him, I said, where's my right arm? Mind you, I'm laying flat. Mm -hmm. I said, where's my right arm? <clears throat> and my brother says, your right arm is right next to you. And I said to him, I said, okay. 
So then I tell my brain to tell my right arm again, my, my, my thoughts, I'm saying, scratch your forehead. And it didn't happen. Yeah. So my brother was standing on the left side of me at this time. Mm. So when I said to him, I said, my right arm is there. He said, yes. I said, well, lift it up. So as he lifts it up, I see it. And then I'm trying to now question, why won't my right arm move? Mm. So here I was trying to figure it out. And that's when the doctors come and they tell me, they says, the impact from your injuries caused your nerves to be uprooted from the root of your spine. Mm. Said, so in other words, the nerves that control your right arm were pulled from the root of your spine. Mm. They said, in the surgery that you need, we don't do it in the United States. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. I said, so how can I go about getting the surgery that I need? And he told me, he said, the best that we could possibly do for you is refer you to Germany. Hmm. And I said, why is Germany? And he said, well, Germany, there's no liabilities. So that which make, that's what makes them able to do the surgery. I said, okay. He said, but the cost of the surgery is $100,000. And I said, wow, $100,000. And I said, well, what is the percentage rate of my recovery? And they said, well, 50% says that you would regain full use and return back to your normal life. I said, what's the other 50%? They said, the other 50% you would be paralyzed from the neck down. Mm. I said, well, y'all just leave me alone. <laughs> to me, I felt that there was no brainer. And so during my recovery at ECMC, Daniel, I stayed at ECMC eight weeks mm. for recovery. So I, during that time, when I got the news from the doctors that I wouldn't have use of my right arm, I got depressed. Mm. I can't. I became to the point that I didn't want to eat during mm. my depression. I always had a good appetite, but I stopped eating. I stopped and kind of gave up. I want to say I gave up my will to want to live. Mm. And in my giving it up, my grandmother, God bless her, what you know she's no longer with us but during that time we considered her house to be headquarters huh. which means that anybody that was family they knew if you needed to know something you can go to her house and she know about it <laughs> so when my father reported to her that i was not eating as a result of my depression and my, my mental stage and knowing that i wouldn't be able to return back to the department of corrections she said you're going to take him she sent me something I, I never ate, eggplant. Never ate eggplant, but that day I ate it. <laughs> she said, you go tell him, I said, eat this eggplant. <laughs> and I've been eating ever since. <laughs> but during my journey in the Department of Corrections, I always knew it in my mind. I said, you know what? I said, my game plan is to do my 25 in corrections and be out. Hmm. So you figure out the math. February 7th, 
would have been my anniversary date. Mm. And I would have had 23 years in the Department of Corrections. Mm. So during the time of my hospitalization, I begin to think long term. My life is over. Mm. I gave up my will to live. Mm. You know, I didn't think that God loved me. Mm. I didn't think that people will accept me. Mm. I thought that it would be hard to find a job. Mm. And uh, I just chose to deal with that after listening to, again, a bunch of good teaching, biblical inspiration. Amen. And God restored the hope Amen. and the desire to want to live, mm. the desire to want to get healthy again, mm. the desire to want to do some work. Mm-hmm. And I found myself having to relinquish my job at the Department of Corrections because I couldn't go back. That's right. So because I couldn't go back, it was a matter of find something now that you can do. And then that's why I try to encourage everyone that's listening. If you have the opportunity, get you the, the best of quality education that you can. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes the physical, some things tangible can be taken away from you mm-hmm. against your will. Mm. But your education, nobody can take from you. You remind me of my father, my parents. Father is late. God bless his soul. My mom, who I just spoke with not too long ago. <clears throat> that's that's their mantra. You know, we grew up poor in Nigeria, and my parents would rather pay your t- our tuition than buy food in the house. Mm. Because they knew we would not starve, we would not die. Mm-hmm. But their point and their goal was they didn't have the privy to advance education, but they were going to do all it took to give their children education. Mm-hmm. Because they can give us food, and that would digest, and we'll defecate it out. But when they gave us education, meaning that that would take us as far as our dreams were wild. Mm-hmm. So thanks for sharing that. Go ahead. Absolutely. And that's the way I saw it. You know, I said, well, you know what? I can't go back to the Department of Corrections, mm-hmm. but I could do something. That's right. And I, I went as far as to think that I could have got disability. But, you know, they said, no, as long as you can answer a phone, you can do a job. And I said, wow, kind of hard on the person, you know. <laughs> but mind you, during this time in my life, I mean, I had my own apartment. I had the, the motorcycle. I'm, I thought I had it going on in the Department of Corrections. I had a, a SUV. I had um, a little sports car. I, I, I had bills. I had financial responsibilities. And having said that, now I had to release all of that. Mm. had a nice substantial money in the bank account. I thought it was decent. I had to relinquish all and deplete all of that just to now try to start all over again. Mm. So, of course, you know, that did a lot of emotional damage to me because for what I had worked so hard to accumulate in that short time span, now I had to let it go. Mm, I see. So in my letting that go, um, I was fortunate to do some desk jobs, customer service jobs, but from listening to other people's problems at that time, it was not my thing because I was still dealing with my own problems. Um, so as a result, 
I'm thankful for the security company that hired me coming into the Jacobs School. Mm. Uh, and that company that hired me, I wanted so badly to be on a day shift because they only hired me part-time, mm. Saturday and Sunday. I see. And I said, wow, so many of the staff I would see leaving or students sometimes leaving the facility, never had a chance to meet them. Mm -hmm. So having said that in my career path, I was able to be hired by the security company because they looked at my background and said, you know what, he has good experience and we could use him. And this was five years ago. Let me tell you a secret. This was five years ago. Yes, <laughs> that they decided to hire me. Mm. And in them hiring me, I just want to share, I'm thankful because they were themselves going through a transition, mm. um, whether to stay here or to move on with the contract of the Jacob School. Mm. And having said that, they chose to move on. And some of the employees had the option to stay or to leave. Yeah. And so when the opportunity came to me, I said, wow, I just now moved from the weekend shift to a 40-hour work week. The money is starting to look good. I'm starting to pay my bills and things are starting to get better for me. I still don't have the use of my right arm, but you know what? I'm still able to survive. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm able to provide for myself. So then they came to me and said, Larry, do you want to stay here with us or do you want to go with the other company? I said, I'd rather stay here with at the Jacob School. Here at Success Clinic, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for making the date with us again today. I hope that you're having an amazing time and capturing the golden treasures contained in this episode. We know how valuable your time is and we truly appreciate it. We also want to send a shout out to those of you out there who have been engaging with us, sending us feedback on how these conversations have transformed your lives and how they have become a manual for your own journey to success. Thank you as well to all of you who have been providing commentaries and sharing the word and episodes with your friends, families, and communities. Your effort is a priceless gift to us. Your engagement makes our dreams come true by facilitating the exponential expansion of the impact that this podcast is having on our community. This way, you continue to inspire us to give our best to this cause. We're truly grateful and we look forward to even greater opportunities to serve you better. Eshe, dalu, nagode. Muchas gracias. Asante. Mercy. Thank you. Now, let's get back to the episode. So in my stand here, um, the Lord, he had blessed me to become, as I said, a pastor. Mm. Um, I've been in the ministry now for over 25 years, but I've been pastor now for five years mm. here in this community. Uh, my church is St. James House of Prayer, Church of God in Christ. Thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. And we're, we're located here in the city of Buffalo at 1221 Michigan Avenue which is not far from the medical campus. So shout out. Mm -hmm. So St. James, love you. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. And uh, having said that, being pastor now uh, for five years on, I, I found that the journey is, is certainly you need, you need the guidance of the Lord Amen. because without his help, there's no way I can do it. Mm. 
But I told the church, I said, I don't know why the good Lord has me here at the Jacob School. Mm -hmm. I said, but while he has me here, I said, whatever he wants me to do, I'm going to do it. And being here at the Jacob School, you know, I found myself, shout out to class of 2022, because they were the first full graduating class Mm. that I actually had a chance to see graduate. Mm. So I bonded with them. And I mean, we have such a good rapport. And matter of fact, me and class of 2022, we actually exchange numbers and we keep in touch. Mm -hmm. We text, we call, you know, we check on one another, celebrate Mm -hmm. one another. So we still have a rapport and, and I'm thankful to them for that. But even in their journey, I saw them and I see, like yourself, mm. thankful to you pursuing to be a doctor because you yourself and many of the doctors that are here and those that are pursuing to become doctors, you can't heal anybody. Mm. But what you can do is improve their quality of life. You can give them hope. Yeah. And so I say that to say to you all, while I sit here as a security guard, Mm-hmm. Most people, they see me sitting here and they think that, oh, he wants to talk to us about the weather. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not true, Daniel. Usually what happens is I greet people on a level that we can all be identified with. That's true. And I usually start by saying good morning because that's my shift is the morning time. Mm. But in my starting to say good morning, sometimes people and I, we begin to discuss and talk about the weather. And of course, I can feel the cold just like you can and <laughs> see the rain like you can and feel the heat just like you can from the sun. But many of cases I've come to learn and we just went and dealt with COVID. Some people wear a mask over their emotions. Mm. And in many cases, um, sometimes people hide how they really feel. And so I think uh, I'm, I'm just going to interrupt you for a second to because i think you're getting to a point that i I, that is super critical for the show today and first of all thank you so much for sharing that story i know it's a very personal story almost moved me to tears i just can if i cried now my voice would go it would crack than it is right now (laughs) so i try to hold that in but your story is super inspirational um, of someone who has been at the bottom of the bottom in life, mm-hmm. where you lose hope for existence, you lose the reasons to even exist anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and for so many out there, even experiences that have not led to any physical loss of functionality has led to them giving up on life Mm -hmm. and sometimes unfortunately they take their own lives no but the fact that you were able to rise from that ground zero Mm -hmm. of your life after falling that far from where your life was comfortable is a very it's a very commendable um act on your part and i know that you've mentioned that god and your faith 
were critical to you rising up from that ground zero back to where you are today impacting lives in ways that are mind-blowing despite your physical limitation mm -hmm. but also you mentioned people that surrounded you like your mother who continue to pump in life into you yes with her voice with her prayers with her physical support and your family including your grandmother who was there in person to empower you I think it's very important for us to note at this point from your story and from several stories we've heard on this show that there is superpower in the people that you keep around you. Yes. The people around you can make you or break you. Yes. The people around you can pull you down from the pinnacle of greatness. And the same people around you can pull you up from ground zero to a pinnacle of excellence. Yes. So there is superpower in the people that surround us. Yes. I think it's important to note that if we invest a lot of time and attention in screening the people around us, mm -hmm. I think that is a, a super duper important investment in our lives i agree because a moment where we lose hope and there's nothing that our strength can do for us mm -hmm. these are the people that lifts us up mm -hmm. this reminds me of the bible and I'm, we're going a little deeper now because you're a pastor you know <laughs> but you know in the bible when moses every time i can't remember exactly what part of the what what verse what what the story was that the people that lifted the hand of Moses, mm -hmm. as long as Moses' hand was lifted, the people of Israel were conquering the battle. Yes. Right? Yes. But whenever his hand was going down, mm -hmm. they began to lose. Mm -hmm. And then what, what happened? What happened at that moment? God made sure that there were people who were there to lift up the hand of Moses, even when he could not lift his hands up. Yes, right. And as long as they were there to lift his hands up, the nation of Israel were conquering. That's right. Tells us how powerful the people around us are. That's right. You know, go ahead. Go ahead. I no, know you have to no, say something. No, no, no. You, you, and and I have to tell you, I thank God for uh, your contributing that because that reminded me of when I was installed as the pastor of the church. Mm. When I was installed as the pastor, my bishop, he came from Rochester and during my installation service, that's what he told the church. Mm. He told the church, he said, keep his, land, keep his hands lifted. Mm. Don't let his hands fall. Mm. Because if my hands fall, then we would lose the battle. Mm. And so that's what we have to do. We have to make sure that we keep one another lifted. Ah. And so as me as a security guard, sitting here at the Jacobs School, mm. and this is the, I think, one of the most important part of this, this uh, podcast is this. 
I am not the one who sits in the lectures mm. side by side with other students. Mm. I am not the one who takes the exams that's given. Mm. However, because I am not that one, I don't know what it's like to sit in those shoes. Mm -hmm. But I make sure my due diligence is that when I find out that you and students like you are preparing to take the test, mm -hmm. I make sure that I walk through that auditorium or wherever the test is being given mm. because my prayer mm. is that, Lord, bring all of the information that they have studied because mm. the Bible tells us that faith without works is dead. Mm. So it's hard for you to pass a test if you don't study for it. Yes. So my prayer is, Lord, bring all the information they have studied back to their remembrance. Mm. Just my presence. I, I don't say nothing to anybody as I walk in, but any student that knows me will tell you, yes, Mr. Larry walks into the exam room. And they come to me and say, before the exam, they say, Mr. Larry, is you coming to the exam? Mm. And they say to me, we, you got to come through the exam room. <laughs> Sorry, I can't, I can't hold back my tears at this time. Any student would tell you that. And I would inquire, where is the exam being given? And as I go into the exam room and the professors mm. know, I will greet the professors. But I will make sure that I walk past the front of the examination room because my prayer is Lord even as I walk past them everything that they have studied allow it to come back to their remembrance so that they can move to the next level and even me being quiet about my physical situation and wanting to know who Larry is the Bible tells us in Romans chapter four and verse number 17, the Bible tells us, it says for as believers, Christian men and women, mm -hmm. it says for us to call those things that be not. As though they were. As though they were. <laughs> yes, sir. So what I often do is I try to make sure that I greet you students in the capacity, whether you be a first year or a fourth year, mm. I make sure that I greet you with the intentions that you're on your way to your destiny. Mm. And I believe, knowing that, again, I don't sit in the lecture halls and I don't take those exams, mm. couldn't tell you much of anything about medicine nor the human, the human body. But this one thing I do know, <laughs> that my God mm. can bring all these things back to your remembrance. Oh, my world. So that you can be a blessing to the people who need healing. Mm that are coming to you mm. with damaged health. Mm -hmm. So when I go through the examination rooms and, and I walk, I don't stay in, I don't distract, but I just walk slowly. And, and, and I, 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 now I remember seeing you in almost every single exam I'm sitting for in that M&T auditorium, mm -hmm. because I see you walking through the front door. You don't say anything. You just walk in the front mm -hmm. and you just walk by. And, I, I believe many of the students who will be listening right now never knew what was, oh my gosh. That's why I walked through there. <laughs> you, you were basically, sorry, I'm 
this moved me to tears because many of us as students, you, you don't understand so much anxiety that we students go through going into those exams. Sometimes we don't even know if we're gonna pass that exam because there's just so much going on in our lives. Medical school is not easy. The journey is not easy. Some people are born geniuses, but many are going through this because they want to make a difference even though their minds and the things and the circumstances around them suppresses their abilities. Mm -hmm. And we sit down in that exam and there's someone walking in front of the exam who is not in the, in the journey with us, but you're there speaking life. You're, you're speaking grace. You're speaking excellence into our lives. Yes. I cannot just phantom how selfless that service that you do for us is. I do it from the heart. I do. And the, Thank you. And the reason why I do that is I conclude with my experience mm. as the security guard walking through that examination room. I'm sorry. I cannot hold my tears back because it's, it's just, it's, any of us don't know how we get through medical school. And, and, and since you're on that subject, I believe and this is me speaking mm. from my heart. Many times as you and other students like you, you have a, a mental ascent of where you want to be in your life. Mm. So for this cause, many students, they leave their mother and father or their family support mm. and they move to another city they move to another state. They live with other students whom they don't know, mm. who they now have to trust, who they now have to depend upon mm. to get them to the next level. Mm. Now you're out of the confine of your comfort zone because your parents aren't there. You're not around your friends that kept you elevated. But now you're now in the company of people who you don't know. And you're just hoping that they care enough for you to help you through the struggles as you care for them to help them through their struggles. Mm -hmm. So in that, I say this, as I have the privilege to meet so many students from first year to fourth year, mm -hmm. I often find students who might see themselves in the struggle. And I'll ask them, how is it going? Mm. And if they hit me a spot, whereas they realize that they're struggling, mm. my first question to that student is, have you tried going to your professor? I need some Kleenex myself now. You got me getting emotional. <laughs> Sorry. You, uh, no, this is, this is have, something that no one, I, it's unbelievable. And my question to them is, have you tried going to your professor mm. so that your professor 
you can explain what you what you're confident in and knowing, but yet you can also now explain where the disconnect takes place. So I believe that if there is a disconnect in our learning or anywhere with life, I believe that if you speak up, make your voice and your concerns, your issues known, mm. then you're reaching out for help. Yes. But if you refuse to reach out for help, then how can we help you through the struggles? Mm. So as students, you have a part to play, but I'm the parent. I'm known to some as Uncle Larry. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I say that because as parents, and I'm a father of three, as parents, I believe that your parents send you and support financially to the University of Buffalo Jacobs School, this school, mm. financially to support because they're expecting the university to provide you as a student mm. with the highest and quality of education. Yeah. And I believe that as a security officer, the University of Buffalo looked upon the security company to say, we want you to provide the safest, most secure place for our students to learn mm -hmm. so they can feel confident in coming to school as an environment that the staff can appreciate showing up at work. Mm -hmm. In spite of the workload, in spite of what challenges come with the career, we want you to provide a safe environment. So when you as students come through those doors mm. at Washington, where I sit at, mm. my take and greeting to you is always a good morning. Good morning, doctor. Yes. That's, that's how you've always greeted us. Yes. Good morning, doctor. And the reason why I greet you in that capacity is because sometimes, Daniel, myself like some of others that i have met we sometimes look at life and we look at life from where we are but one of the things i've learned even in my own personal injuries mm. in spite of what the doctors now scientific study shows and has been proven i'm not going to focus on where i'm at Mm. But I'm more so focused on where I'm going. Where I'm going. I found out that sometimes people, black men, black women, young men, old women, doesn't matter age, ethnicity, but sometimes people stop living because they get caught up in that where moment. They are. Yes. They figure and think that this is where I'm going to always be. But my heart's desire is that every time that you all come through these doors mm. and I meet students who struggle mm. without saying, Mr. Larry, I'm struggling or Uncle Larry, I'm struggling. I always try to make sure, Lord, let me find somebody in here mm. that can match their personality because everybody don't feel comfortable with going to their professor. Mm -hmm. Every student doesn't. But I said, Lord, let me find somebody in here that's comfortable and that matches their personality mm. that might be able to give them some study tips, mm. some kind of extra tutoring or any type of um, assistance mm. so that they can continue on 
the journey. I see. And so in the process of all of that is when you all come through there and I start looking <laughs> at you all and calling you doctor. Mm. Let me let, let me interrupt you very, very, very quickly because you deposited a treasure in my heart that I, I think is important to share with, the, with, with our audience. You mentioned that many of us walk into that building through that Washington Street entrance, overwhelmed with the present situation that we are encountering, overwhelmed with our present situations that obscures our journey to where we're going. And you stand in that gap to remind us of the brightness of our future. Mm -hmm. You stand there to speak into our lives, not what we're experiencing, but where we are going. Yes. You stand there as a reminder of where we're going. Yes. And many times people don't understand why when we walk into that door, including myself, did not understand until right now, that God has placed you there as an angel to keep us focused on our destination. Even though we individually are being overwhelmed by the present circumstances that make the vision of our future cloudy to us. Yes, and that's exactly what I try to do. I try to do it. Larry, you know what? I try to do it. There's there's so much that we that there's so much that you've unloaded in this episode that I think there's there's so much more to go that we cannot keep in just one episode. We're gonna have you come back. I'd appreciate that because because I, I think, including myself, we need to sit down and digest this. Now, Larry, who we see right there sitting down as a security officer, has been more of a guardian angel over many of us. That many times your prayers, I believe, has worked great wonders for us as you walk in front of us, taking examinations. That God has been endowing us with wisdom just by you walking in front of the room without saying a word. And I believe many of the students listening right now and instructors will start to remember when we saw Larry walk in front of the auditorium almost every time we took exams. Yes, absolutely. Larry, I really want to appreciate you for coming in here today. And we're going to bring you back. I'll be glad to Because the story, I know there's a lot to it. There's a lot that you mean to your not just to us at Jacob School of Medicine, but also to your community, to your church, the people around you, where you grew up and where you live at the moment, the Buffalo community at large. And if you don't mind, we will we'll have you back. I'll be glad. For the second part of this, of this discussion. I'll be glad to come back. I'll be glad to continue to share. Oh my gosh. At this moment, our dear audience, can we just say thank you to Larry for sharing this in-depth, powerful insight and revelations 
that reminds us that we can make impact wherever we are, regardless of what position we are. Mm -hmm. We don't have to be announced before we truly are making impact. Yes. And I just want to also say to you and to those that are listening, I'm thankful to you all who walk through those doors because, and I'll continue this on the next visit. Please. The reason why I'm thankful mm. is because as you that study, those professors that teach, those of you that study, even as far as research, I want to make sure you understand that at the conclusion, I'm that patient sitting in that hospital bed waiting for you to come through my hospital room mm. to share with me to say, look what we have found that might add quality to your life. Mm. Let's be transparent. I don't know what type of element of disease or infirmity many of us know people that are already suffering from. Mm. But can you imagine the joy that it would bring for one of you doctors that attended this university, that applied yourself the best that you could, walked to somebody's bedroom, patient bedroom, and say, we found a cure for your type of cancer. Mm. We have a surgery that we would like for you to consider mm. that will help improve your quality of life. Mm. I'm that patient. But we'll continue that on the next podcast yes. if it's all right. Yes, please, Larry. We definitely will. Thank you so much for sharing this. And we cannot wait to listen to a lot more that you have to share with us. People, thank you for listening to this episode. We look forward to having you in the next episode and very soon for the second part of the amazing story of Larry Daniel, the security officer who has trained several doctors. <laughs> God bless you, brother. Bless you all. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.